Well, this is our final week in a series called Awaken. We have been in this series through the prophetic book of Joel in the Old Testament. Uh, We've been praying and asking God to bring revival both in our lives individually, personally, and also the life of our church. We do have some revival prayer guides, so uh, if you'd like one of those, we'd encourage you to to pick one up at at our info hubs and just join us in praying that God would bring revival both again individually and also corporately as a church body. And then we bring awakening into us, so I encourage you to join us in that. Uh, And also, as uh, Pastor Jim alluded to, next weekend is our annual testimony service. And we really want to see that as an extension of this series, Awaken. One of the great lines the prophet Joel gave us is that line as he talked to us about repentance and returning to the Lord and how blessings come as we return to the Lord, as we repent and come home and come back to him. He talks about that God would restore what the locust has eaten. And that's kind of the theme of this testimony service where we will hear live and some by video testimonies or stories about how God is restoring lives, restoring what the locust has has eaten, that God uh, has moved. And and again, you'll be encouraged by those stories. It'll be a great opportunity for you if you know somebody that doesn't have a church home, somebody that may be struggling in life and there's some, some difficulties they might be wading through and wondering, you know, what's the purpose of this life? And life seems to be meaningless. And is there anything uh, bigger than what I'm experiencing in the here and now? be a great weekend to invite someone to hear some of the great stories about how God moves in real lives in real people. Well, we've been in this, again, this series, Awaken, and as you're turning to Joel chapter 3, I was preparing this week, and I listened to something that Pastor Tim Keller, who's recently gone on to be with the Lord, what he was sharing, I want to share some some thoughts that he had. He told the story of Leo uh, Tolstoy, a famous Russian novelist who wrote War and Peace, arguably probably one of the greatest novels ever written, greatest novels of all time. And Tolstoy, in a little book called Confessions, when he was around 50 years old, had an existential crisis. And he wrote this little book, Confessions, that told the story of what was going on. At that point in his life, uh, he really didn't believe in anything. He was pretty well known as a Russian author. Uh, He was a part of the Russian intelligentsia. Uh, And so, you know, a lot of good things going on in his life. But he began to ask, and again, his early 50s, began to ask his friends, well, what happens when we die? Most of his friends had some variation on the theme of an answer. Uh, Well, when you die, you just cease to exist. There's nothing else. The sun's going to burn out eventually. All that we know is going to go away. And Tolstoy started saying, well, well, wait a minute. If that's the case, well, why go on? Why keep writing books if if life is meaningless and everything is meaningless? And and so as he began to wrestle with his friends, and he was talking about this all the time, his friends just started saying, well, you're just thinking too much. You need to you need to uh, just, just go to the beach, go shopping. You know, he's having these thoughts of, uh, you know, if, if nothing matters, does it matter if I'm cruel? Does it matter if I'm good in the end? If, you know, none of it's going to make any difference. All of life is just, is just meaningless. And, and his friends, well, you're, you're a Russian artist. You, you know, this is kind of the, the way that, that, that you guys think. You're just thinking too much. Just enjoy life. And Tolstoy said this, as he began to journey, and that set him on a journey back to Christ 
in Christianity, he said this, what kind of view of the world is only livable if you don't think about what you believe? So again, let me, let me pose that. As Tolstoy wrote, what kind of view of the world is only livable if you don't think about what you believe. If you don't think too much about the implications of what you believe about the world. In other words, the world finds peace and joy not in thinking about the world, but in forgetting. In not thinking deeply about what they believe. Consider what Jesus has to say. That Jesus invites us to find joy in seeing him. If we're A Christian, Keller says, and we have no joy. He says we have no joy because we're not thinking. We're not thinking enough, he he said. We're not thinking about the implications of what we really believe. We believe that God created this world in joy. Proverbs chapter 8 tells us uh, as much that when he created the world that he was delighting in us. That he made us enjoy, made this world enjoy, and then sin came in, sin destroyed, broke that relationship with us, between us and God. And ever since, he's been making a way for us to be reunited in eternity with him. That joy reuniting. The problem is that we turned away from him. But he didn't leave us in that pain and that struggle. He didn't leave us in our sin. At ultimate cost to him, he sent his one and only son into this world to die. That that a way could be made for us to be back in relationship with him. Think about how much God values us. The book of Joel tells us the story of how God brought judgment in the form of the day of the Lord. In chapter 1, we saw how this locust plague came God had warned them to come back and warned them to repent warned them to 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 come back and so that that plague that day of the Lord was a shock hopefully a shock that would bring them back to repentance that they would come home as we've continued in this book of Joel we've seen that he teaches us about another great day of the Lord that's coming that's yet to come And when it comes, the world as we know it will end. And so in chapter 3, we see what Joel is trying to teach us. That will usher those who have heeded his warning, who have put their faith in Christ into their eternal reward, a place of joy with him. And so unlike the world, we we don't come here today and we don't try to forget what's really going on. We don't try to forget. We don't try to drown out our issues and drown out our problems and and use things that numb the pain of this world. But we come together to think deeply about what's really going on in this world and the one that is to come, eternity. And when we think deeply about what really is going on and about God and Christ and about how our sins can be forgiven, how we can be reunited with him. When we think about what this world with all of its trouble represents as just a a blip on the screen as to what is to come in eternity, it's there that we will find joy despite what's going on in this world, in this side of eternity. So today, let's join Tolstoy and let's think deeply about what really matters and find our joy 
when we look at that. Joel chapter 3, verse 1. For behold, in those days and at that time, when I restore the fortunes of Judah and Jerusalem, I will gather all the nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat. And I will enter into judgment with them there on behalf of my people and my heritage Israel, because they have scattered them among the nations and have divided up my land and have cast lots for my people and have traded a boy for a prostitute and a girl and sold a girl for wine and, and have drunk it. Now, as I said in week one, as we looked at chapter one, we really don't know when the prophet Joel was writing. We don't have any really hints in scripture that really tell us when the book of Joel falls on the historical kind of timeline. What we do know though is that in chapter one that that locust plague was a real event of a natural disaster that that took place in the southern kingdom of Judah after the nation of Israel had been divided between uh, two into two nations Israel in the north and Judah to the south. And as a result of hundreds of years of their disobedience where God had sent prophet after prophet and tried to get them to turn back and tried to get them to repent and tried to get them to turn around, uh, but they hadn't heeded his warning, finally he sends in what was described as the day of the Lord, this locust plague, a literal locust plague that, that was a reminder of the way that sin, it was just a symbol of the way that sin destroys and then sin eats away at, at what we love, things that are good in our lives as a way hopefully to get them to turn back. To repent. We also know that uh, things uh, around them began to get worse as the northern kingdom uh, was invaded. They did not heed the warning. They did not turn back. And so the Assyrians came, we know from history, invaded the northern kingdom, destroyed the capital there. And then we see that they, again, they had ups and downs there in Judah, but they did not repent and they did not turn back and so God as he had warned them for generations warned them that finally judgment came and the Babylonians came and the Babylonians carried them destroyed the that southern kingdom destroyed Jerusalem and they were carried away into captivity and God told them but after a time I'll send you back I'll I'll let you go back and so 70 years later they were able to to leave that captivity and to go back home back to their nation, to rebuild the temple, to rebuild Jerusalem, to reform their nation, to rebuild the walls. And so God is painting the picture here in the book of Joel that he's going to restore his people. He's going to bring justice to those nations that sinned against him and sinned against his people. He's going to make all things right. And God tells them that there's this valley called the Valley of Jehoshaphat where the nations will be gathered. And for those people who had invaded Judgment is going to come. Those people who had divided up his land, judgment is going to come. For those that, as he describes, those, those that had sold his people into slavery, that judgment was going to come. Joel goes on in these next few verses after verse 3, and he describes some of that judgment that was going to come. And then here, uh, as we go on, we're going to look at verse 12 next. But in verse 2 and verse 12, Joel mentions this valley of Jehoshaphat. Scholars have speculated about where that is. If you go and look at a, a maps of the Middle East, you don't find a valley of Jehoshaphat. And so some have speculated, well, maybe it's in this place or maybe it's in that place. And there's others that say, well, it's just symbolic. And that's the camp that I would hang out in. It's just the idea that this valley is symbolic. The key is not where the valley is. The key is what the valley is. And what the valley is, if you translate that word Jehoshaphat, it means Jehovah has judged. In 
And so what it is, is a valley where God will pour out his judgment. It's basically the co- cosmic principles office is, is what it is. And that's what it is. So let's skip down to verse uh, 12 as we read on. Let the nations stir themselves up and come to the valley of Jehoshaphat. For there I will sit to judge all the surrounding nations. Put in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Go in, tread, for the winepress is full. The vat overflows, for the evil is great. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. For the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. The sun and the moons are dark, and the moon are darkened. The stars withdraw their shining. The Lord roars from Zion and utters his voice from Jerusalem. And the heavens and the earthquake. But the Lord is a refuge to his people. A stronghold to the people of Israel. Again, we see here in verse 12 that the nations are being brought together in this valley of decision. This place of judgment. Verse 13 begins then some what is very typical judgment language. and We see it, he talks about using a sickle to bring in the harvest. That was a curved handheld blade that was used to harvest the, the wheat or the grains of different kinds. And then the, 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 the good stuff was separated from the bad stuff, the tares from the wheat or the wheat from the chaff or the wheat from the, from the weeds. And then there was a, another picture, another Again, prophetic judgment type of language where he says to, to bring the harvest of the, of the vine together. And, and they would have stone uh, uh, vats in the ground where they would put all of the grapes in the stone vat. And they would, they would the wine press. And they would uh, walk around in that and press the, the grapes. And then the juice would flow out of that. And the picture is this. These grapes in the wine press being treaded out, being walked upon, smashed, and juices flowing, vats overflowing. And, and, and Joel says the, the evil is great. Again, in this picture of evil and sin and injustice being dealt with in this valley of decision on this great day of the Lord. The pictures continue in verse 15 when he talks about on that day the sun the moon will be darkened the stars will stop shining the lord will roar from zion which is that place where he dwells again in this valley of decision this valley of judgment but i want us to catch this little gem that we find in verse 16 not overlook what what we see joel telling us here in verse 16 in verse 16 this little gem let me read it for you but the lord is a refuge to his people a stronghold to the people of Israel. So in other words, for those who are his children, for those who are his people, uh, what is God in that valley of decision, in that valley where judgment is coming? Not, God's not a, a judge in that moment. He's a refuge in that moment. In the midst of that valley, he is a refuge, a safe place in the midst of it. Don't miss that. Look at verse 17. So you shall know that I am the Lord your God. Who dwells in Zion, my holy mountain. And Jerusalem shall be holy. And strangers shall never pass again pass through it. And in that day the mountains will drip with sweet wine. And the hills shall flow with milk. And all the stream beds of Judah shall flow with water. And a fountain shall come forth from the house of the Lord. And water the valley of Shittim. Egypt shall become a desolation. And Edom a desolate wilderness. For the violence done to the people of Judah. Because they have shed innocent blood in their land. But Judah shall be inhabited forever. And Jerusalem to all generations. I will avenge their blood. Blood I have not avenged. For the Lord dwells in Zion. 
So Joel moves to conclusion here. And I want you just to listen to as he describes this, this place where God's people are, this, 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 this land that is his, how on that day, how, how the, the blessings will flow, mountains dripping with sweet wine, hills flowing with milk. Any lactose intolerant people here? Okay, this is the kind of milk that doesn't upset your stomach. This is the good stuff. This, it tastes like the real stuff. doesn't taste like the fake stuff, the good stuff, but it doesn't mess up your stomach. So don't think it's, you know, milk and you're thinking, oh, it's a bad thing. No, it's a good thing, okay? Dried up streams. What's the picture now? Flowing with life-giving water. Fountains exploding open and life coming. That's the, the picture. This is not something that we need to fear And then in verse 19, reminding us that God in his time is going to make all things right. The enemies of God's people who persecuted and brought in justice will finally be dealt with. He says, I will avenge their blood. Blood I have not avenged, I will on that day. And again, we're reminded of the great day of the Lord. All things that we mistakenly thought, well, I don't understand why. And this question that's been asked for millennia, why does God allow the wicked to prosper and the righteous to suffer. It seems like, you know, I try to do what's right. I try to do the right thing. And it, it seems like the, the, all this negative stuff happens to me. There's injustice everywhere. I look around the world and, and there's wrong and there's hate and there's injustice. And it seems like people just get away with it. Verse 19 reminds us that justice delayed is not injustice. But that judgment comes. And God on that day will make all things right. Things that have not been made right up to this point, we can trust, friends, that God will make all things right. I don't know what injustice has been going on in your world where you think, I don't understand this. Why does God let this happen? Injustice will be dealt with on that great day. Now, I know that prophecy and you know, this book of Joel can be confusing. It's, there's a lot of poetic language. There's a lot of symbolism that can be very confusing. And so I just want to pull out some things that I think it's really important for us to get critical for us to understand in this final chapter of the book of Joel. Reminders, as, as really the theme of this chapter, and, and we've seen it throughout the book of Joel, this day of the Lord, this idea. And here's a reminder that we need to get about the day of the Lord. The first thing is that it's drawing near. Joel reminded us in chapter 1 all the way through to today as we look at chapter 3 that the day of the Lord is drawing near. There was, a, there was an example where there was a day of the Lord that was a literal uh, day of the Lord, kind of a, kind of a warm-up exercise as this locust plug came, just, just illustrating what happens when sin is allowed to ravage. But then he talks about how there's another great day of the Lord coming that is drawing near. And on that day of the Lord that's, that's coming, the nations will be gathered together. Everyone will be gathered together for this day of judgment. And no one knows for sure when it is. If you are listening to somebody and they've got some chart or they've got some, some series of whatever and they're saying this thing points to the fact that, that on this day, this is when the Lord's coming back, you need to stop listening to them. Because what scripture says is that no one knows. Only God knows. But what we do know is that it's coming and that it's nearer 
And what we do know is what Jesus said, that he said that there's going to be wars and rumors of wars, that there's going to be, there's going to be you know, the right's going to be turned upside down on its head and, 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 and our world will get crazier and crazier. Just like a woman who's about to give birth begins to have birthing pains, he says, when you see that and when you see these things going on in the world, know that the time is drawing near. And that, friends, is what we see in our world. In a world where wrong is right now and right is wrong, that's the world we live in. And friends, there's nothing for us as we think about that day is drawing near. There's nothing that, that we need to fear about it. I remember several years ago, I was thinking this week, you know, over my now 26 years as a, as a lead pastor, there's been any number of occasions where I've had to have in my office very difficult conversations. I can remember times and think back about having to confront people that were in active adultery and to talk to them about that and to call for them to repent and come home. I've had different occasions where I had to have, again, very difficult conversations. I remember I was thinking back to a season in the life of the church when the boys were really small where there was just a number of things that had just happened in rapid succession and there were some staffing changes and staff had to be let go and just some, some realignment and just a number of things. And I had one of the staff actually said to me one day, you know, no one wants to come up to your office. They're a little afraid to, to, to meet with you. You know, two people, two people have never, never been afraid to come to my office. In those days, two people, Caleb and Jacob, my two boys. And it was all about the relationship that I had with them. Those are my children. Those are my boys. I'm their father. There was nothing ever to fear about coming and sitting in my office with me. And as we think about the implications of all of this, there's no need for us to fear the day of the Lord that's coming, the day of the Lord that's near. If we're in relationship with our Heavenly Father, if we have, if we have submitted to Christ, if we've invited Christ to be our Savior, even, though if, even if we... We're not prepared to write some deep theological book or stand up on a Sunday morning and, and preach some deep theological message. And, but, but we know that we put our faith in Christ, that we've, we've confessed our sins, and, and we're Christ. We're his child. There's nothing, friends, to fear. But there is coming a day, that great day of the Lord. And as we think about that great day of the Lord that's coming, it will be, a, will be a day that the nations will be gathered, that humanity will be judged. And for some, there will be. Those who have not embraced Christ as their Savior, they need to be appropriately apprehensive about that day. Judgment will be handed down on that day. But for his children who have put their faith in Christ, there's no need to fear because of our relationship with the Father. But Joel is reminding us the day is near. Another reminder that we get from the book of Joel about the day of the Lord 
is that it will be a day of reckoning and restoration. Again, go back to verse 14. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision for the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. And so on that day, multitudes will be gathered on that day. Scripture tells us the valley of decision is a place where God decides. That's the decisions that will be made. The valley of decisions where judgment is handed out. Matthew 25, Jesus himself paints a picture of that day when he describes it this way in Matthew 25, before him will be gathered all the nations and he will separate people one from another as a, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And, and what we're talking about is it will be for some a day of reckoning. For those even that have claimed the name of Christ but under false pretenses. Just been a mask, it's not been real, it's not been authentic. James describes a dead faith. He said, faith without works is dead. People that say they follow Christ, but they don't really. God knows our heart. And God will know as we, if we've worn a mask and we've not had a genuine faith. In fact, Jesus goes on to describe that valley of decision when the sheep will be separated from the goats. And he describes it this way. When he describes those sheep that were confused, I, I don't understand. When, when did I serve you? When did I do those things? And Jesus says, for I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. And I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. When did we do those things to you? And Jesus says, whenever you've done it unto the least of these, you've done it to me. For those who have lived out their faith, whose actions and reactions have been the actions and the reactions that we've learned from Jesus, I want to be very clear, and I, I know I say this often, but this truth tends to leak out of us. And this truth is that we cannot earn our salvation. We do not earn our salvation by works. Jesus did the work for us on the cross. He did the work for our salvation. There's nothing that we can do to earn our salvation. But the scripture does talk to us about working out our salvation. It will be on that day, not if, for those who embrace Christ as our Savior, a day of reckoning, but a day of restoration. When that relationship that, that God wanted from the very beginning in the garden where he was in perfect relationship and they, they were walking in the cool of the garden with, with their God. That day, that's what heaven will be like when we are together reunited. And so it'll be a day of restoration when we will be uh, taken away from this world into this wonderful experience that will be ours, this paradise prepared for us for all eternity. The original vision that he had restored. So yes, that great day of the Lord is coming. Coming complete where nations will be gathered in that valley of decision and on that day, God will make the decisions. And I just want to encourage you today, if you have never embraced Christ as your Savior, yeah, there's coming a day, but this is also a day. Today is a day of decision. Today is a day that God loved you so much that he brought you here to hear the truth that, that he loves you, that he sent Christ to die, that you could have life. And so that, that you could be ready for that day of decision. So it's not a day of reckoning, but a day of restoration. When you will be taken away from this world into the next for eternity. As you have embraced Christ as your Savior, there's an invitation today. Today is the day that you can decide whether how you will respond to Christ. Will you accept the sacrifice that Jesus made for you as he paid the debt 
of sin that you owed, will you allow him to pay that debt for you? That's the decision that is before you today. And so there's no need to fear. It's an invitation. And that brings us to what I just want to make sure that we get as we conclude today. Uh, A reminder about the day of the Lord, something that Joel kind of alludes to that we get. And it's this, you don't want to miss the after party. You don't want to miss the after party. Everybody know what an after party is? It's what happens after the Super Bowl or after the uh, a presidential election or after a big concert or after some big event where a few people are invited back to the after party. After the big event, a few in a, in a kind of a private, very personalized kind of a experience, you get to enjoy the after party. And so after this great day of the Lord, after all the nations have been gathered, after this valley of decision, after this day of judgment, we have been invited to the real party that will last for eternity. That's when the real party begins. And again, the really cool thing is that all of us have got an invitation to the after party. All of us. God wants all of us to come, but you have to RSVP. Here's what Jesus says, For God so loved the world in John 16 and 3, 16 and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his, world, his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. And then first, uh, Timothy, Paul wrote a letter to young Timothy in chapter 4. He talks about God's desire for all people to be saved. And to come to the knowledge of the truth. So he wants all of us to come to the after party. We've all been invited to the after party. But we've got to send the RSVP in. I know this world can be tough. I know that we've all had our own share of struggles and difficulties. Friends, even if you're in another horrible valley. Valleys that come in all kinds of shapes and sizes. Let me encourage you today, as Keller encouraged us, to think. Don't try to drown the sorrow. Don't try to forget the struggle. Don't try to numb yourself from the world with things of the world. Don't spend your time, time trying to forget. Friends, the path to joy in the midst of the struggle of this world is in thinking deeply and considering deeply what is to come. Yes, there's coming a day of the Lord, but we have an invitation for the after party. All who have embraced Christ as Savior. He's going to make all things right in that, on that day. He's going to bring all of his children home that have put their faith in Christ. How many of us uh, remember the Andy Griffith show? Some of us grew up with the Andy Griffith show. Okay. Some of you, even if you didn't grow up, you've, you've watched some of those episodes. And um, So, uh, little Opie was asking his father, the sheriff, he asked him this question one day. Paul, when is, when is Jesus coming back? And Andy, his father, thought for a minute. And I wish Crystal were here because she could do the accent. Awesome, I can't. Uh, Andy, uh, so he, he shares this back to Opie. Thanks for a minute. Well, son, I don't rightly know. Again, in answer to the question, when is Jesus is coming, when is he coming back? Well, well, son, I don't rightly know. You see, we're not on the planning committee We're on the welcoming committee. Friends, his children, we have the privilege to be on the welcoming committee. 
I can't stand here today because I wasn't on the planning committee. I have no idea when he's coming back. I know it's near. And what I also know is that I will, like you all will, stand one day. And I'll stand on that day and I'll give an account for the way I led. I'll give an account for days just like today. And my job, as Scripture tells me, that in the last days, people will gather around teachers who will give them what their itching ears want to hear. In other words, they will not share all of the truth with them, but they'll candy coat it. And they'll try to make it more palatable in the world that we live in. Friend, my job is to get you ready for that day. And to get you ready for that day means I need to tell you about what it's going to be like and the opportunity that God gives us on this day, on this day of decision, gives you an opportunity to embrace Christ as your Savior. To get ready for that after party. When this world is no more, when the eternity that has been prepared for us, that we have the privilege of being ushered into that home has been prepared. It's been promised for those who have put their faith in Christ. So as our worship team comes back up, Joel had a lot to teach us. And as we look around our world, what's going on in our world is not unlike what was going on in Joel's world. His world where for generations they had been trying to ignore God's plea with them, ignore God's warning for them to repent, to turn around, to come home. We live in a world where right is wrong and wrong is right, where it's upside down, that's the world that we live in. And there's a warning that was coming from the pages of Joel to us today, warning us that the locust plague was just a, just a little precursor to what's to come. There's another great day of the Lord that's coming. They didn't heed the warning, and so more judgment came. But there's an ultimate day coming. And Joel taught us about weeping and mourning and lamenting and crying over the, over the state of our lives and over the state of our world and to repent and to come home, reminding us of, of yes, judgment's coming, but reminding us of the, of the blessing and the, and the grace and the mercy that's available to those who, who come home, who repent, who come back. Today, that's the message. There will be a final great day of the Lord. The time is near, and it will be a day of reckoning, and it will be a day of restoration. And following that, there's going to be an after party. And all of us have been given an invitation, and so today, this is another great day of decision, a day where we decide. The Spirit is moving. The Spirit is tugging on hearts. Will you respond? If you've never invited Christ to be your Savior, I'm going to pray in just a moment. I would invite you to make that decision today. Or maybe you'd made that decision at some point in your life and you, you know, you know that you've walked away. And today, the, the God's arms of grace and mercy, of love, they're wide open. And he's welcoming you home. Come home today. I have one final question that's really, really important. I'm going to invite you to stand for me to ask it. Will you stand up? Here's the most important question today. Are you ready 
for the big day. Are you ready for the big day? It's coming. Are you ready for the big day? Heavenly Father, God, in Jesus' name, I pray today as we hear that question, as we think about eternity, as we think deeply, Father, I pray for that person that is making the decision, making that decision, Father, to embrace your son as their savior. Maybe, maybe it's for the first time or maybe, God, they've just, they've walked away from you and today they just would confess some sin that, that has come between you and them. And God, today, as they just confess that, whether it's for the first time or they're coming home, God, I pray that you would just forgive them. I thank you that you promised if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God, thank you for what you're doing here today. Thank you for the grace. Thank you for the mercy that you're pouring out in this place today. And God, now as we turn our attention, as we worship you, Father, I pray that you would help us to do that from a deep place as we think deeply about about who you are and what you've done and who Christ is and the difference that Christ makes as we come clean before you today, Father. I pray that these final moments in this service would be moments of celebration, God, as we think about the day that is coming, that after party that's coming. Thank you, Father. Speak to us. Help us, God. We pray in Jesus' name.